And when I was getting ready to do the sermon, when Jewett asked me would I be able to substitute for him for two weeks, I was reading through an article, uh, uh, through a newspaper type thing, a little bulletin thing. They call it the fish wrapper up in Pennsylvania. It's printed by the Mennonite church up there. Ads and a lot of good stories. In fact, a lot of good jokes. Joe has told some of them before. But they're also in there. But a friend of mine that used to write a poem, write poems, and he had one in the in the fish wrapper, one of the old issues that I came across. And I'm going to read it to you today. It's called "What a Better Way" by Robert Phillips. What better way to start our day than with the Lord in prayer? to take the time to ease our mind of earthly toil and care. Time spent with him brings joy within, a joy beyond compare. What better way to start the day than with the Lord in prayer? Throughout our day, home or away, just thank him now and then. Enjoy our pain, sunshine or rain. He is our greatest friend. Our every Need he fills indeed. His goodness knows no end. Throughout our day, home or away, just thank him now and then. What better way to end our day than with our Lord in prayer? His hand of grace, his warm embrace, we can feel each time we're there. A tear may flow because we know we've always, we're always welcome there. What better way to end the day than with the Lord in prayer? And I read that and I thought, that's really one of his better ones. Now, I'm going to give you two jokes this morning. I'm going to, because I don't get to preach to you that often. And Joe always likes to start out with a joke at the beginning. And so I'm going to give you two of them to make up for that. For times that I can't get them out, and I, I might die and I've never have used them, you know. <laughs> okay, this one is about a little boy named Alex. One Sunday morning, his pastor noticed that Alex was standing in the foyer and he was looking up at this plaque that they had on the wall, and it had names, rows of names on the plaque and everything, and he, he kept looking at it. He was seven years old and the pastor saw him there, so the pastor walked up and stood alongside of him and said uh, quietly to him, he said, good morning, Alex. Oh, good morning, pastor, he replied, still focused on the plaque. Pastor, he said, what is this? Meaning this plaque up there. He, then the pastor said, well, son, it's a memorial to the young men and women who died in the service. Alex just stood there, sober looking, looked up at him again, and he said, Pastor, was it the 8.30 or the 10 o'clock, sir? <laughs> then I have one other one, and I have to get going or I'll run you over time. And I was warned already. <laughs> Uh, this was a preacher. He went to his church on a Monday morning, and when he got there, he found a, a donkey laying on his back, feet in the air, dead out in the church, in front of the church, in the churchyard. 
So he thought, okay, I better call somebody. He called the police. The police said to him, we can't do anything about it. He said, they said, call the health department. The health department said to him, it's called the sanitation department. You know, you know, if you ever dealt with county government, you know how you get run around oftentimes. But anyhow, he said, call, call him. So then the, the manager uh, of the sanitation department uh, finally said to him, well, we can't pick up a mule. We're not allowed to pick up you know, a dead animal like that. He said, you have to call the mayor to get permission from him to have us pick the mule up. Now, the preacher and the mayor uh, knew each other real well, and he knew that the mayor was a, one that yelled at everything, never pleased with anything. So, but he reluctantly got on the phone, he called up the mayor, and as usual, the mayor had a bad temper at the time, and was very hard to get along with, like I said before, and the mayor did not disappoint him that day. He was, he was that miserable. He immediately began to rant and rave at the pastor and finally said, why did you call me anyway? Isn't it your job to bury the dead? The preacher paused and then replied, yes, Mayor, it is my job to bury the dead, but I always like to notify the next of kin first. <laughs> the Mennonites up home might be plain people, but they have a sense of humor. <laughs> During the preparation for the message today, it's God's word to our hearts. I, I stopped and realized that the, the verses that I'm going to be using, to, that I'm basing my message on, were all verses that I learned as a child in Sunday school or in Bible school. Uh, I went from to Bible school from the time I was about five years old until 12, and then when I got 13, I got a job working for a farmer. Uh, and, but anyhow, uh, I learned it in, in those few years that I had in that, it was the Church of the Brethren Bible School in our area. And uh, I knew them. I knew these verses. I knew these verses real good. You know, that memorization is a good way to remember things. The only problem is it took me 30 more years after that for what I had memorized and had in my head to sink 18 inches down into my heart, where I really understood what these verses meant. I don't think I'm the only one. There are probably some others here today that went through the same experience, and maybe some of you are still waiting for that sinking down to the, to the, uh, to the uh, heart. For the first verse that I'm going to use in my message today, it's found in uh, Psalm 119, 105. It says there, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Or we could say God's word, you know, in our heart is the light of the path, to our path. We all need the light of day. I mean, to, to get around, uh, and I know we're, we're all worried. We don't want to have a blackout, especially if a hurricane comes through, and we have lamps prepared that we might have light. But 
what we really need is the light from God. God shining down in, in, in our lives, in our hearts, that we might understand him. When you have that light shining in your heart from above, it'll keep you that you won't stray off the, the narrow, straight and narrow path that we're supposed to be walking on. I mean, uh, that straight and narrow, some people shudder at that, and I don't want nothing to do with church. The straight and narrow isn't that bad a walk. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's just that you be, keep our eyes focused on Christ instead of on the things of the world. And that way he enters into our heart. And it's much easier to keep, to keep the rules that are the, the laws and the commandments that are, that are given to us through the scriptures. We need to see this and, and to make it uh, distinguishable between uh, laws of man and laws of God. And then we also need that light for another reason. And I'm going to refer to this verse also next Sunday, but it's the one of my favorite scripture. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. In other words, he's saying, if it wasn't so, why would I have even mentioned it? He said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. I get more comfort, I think, out of those first seven verses of John 14 than, than a lot of the other scriptures in the Bible. Maybe it's because I'm getting older. <laughs> or I, I shouldn't say anything. Well, I, I, did, I said getting older, not getting old. <laughs> I was past that. <laughs> I, I'm old already. Uh, but anyhow, we see that, that we need that gospel light. We need that to, to get us from earth to heaven. But we won't get it there unless we have Jesus Christ in our hearts, shining down into our hearts. I'm going to, for, for my next one, I'm going to use a very familiar one. I know every one of you learned this sometime or other probably in your life. It's John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let's take it apart a little bit. For God so loved. Who did he love? He loved you. He loved me. He loved all mankind. He's the ruler of the universe. A lot of people, it's hard to, for them to comprehend, but every once in a while when I'm alone, I'll sit and I'll think uh, how marvelous the universe is. Can you imagine? Here we are on one little ball of water and dirt, living here called Earth, and we see, I mean, the stars. Nobody has ever reached the end with a rocket or with a spaceship. There is no beginning. There is no end. And we're just, our Earth is just floating and rotating in, 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 in its place that God put it. There is no limit on God. So there was no limit on his uh, creation of the universe either. But 
we, we still are here. We have faith every day. We know sun's going to come up in the morning, go down at night. We know that as we get into the year, the, the night and day, the night uh, becomes more prevalent and the, the daylight shortens. God, can you imagine somebody? I mean, that there's no engineer that could have figured out how to do this. It is the mind of God. He's the who came up with this. Then we go on and it says, who? You know, did he love? And it says he loved the world. And like I just said, the world was his creation. And then the third part of, of this verse is that he gave his only son. I don't believe there's anybody that I ever met or know that would give up a child to do, go through what Christ had to go through and the purpose that he was sent here to go through, there would be no one. Now, there is a scripture that says, uh, perchance someone might give his life for another. And we hear that, the battlefield stories of how uh, one soldier sees a danger coming and he throws himself in the way of it and saves others. But nobody would want to give up a son willingly. God sent his only begotten son. That we might you know, have this forgiveness. We're a child of his. The Bible says that if we follow him and let that light shine in our heart. Earlier it said... Who can come to it? And that says, whosoever will may come. I remember when I first became a Christian, most of the song books in the church that I went to at that time had in, whosoever will may come. Whosoever surely meaneth me. You know, it, it was a, an old hymn in the church. And that meant a lot to me back then when I first, uh, came to the Lord because I had a past, like all of you did, whether you want to admit it or not. Some will admit it, others will try to get out of it. But we all have had a past of some kind, usually, that we wouldn't want people to know about in the church circle. So uh, that whosoever surely meaneth me, I mean, that we can be forgiven. That whosoever believes in him, should be not perish, but have eternal life. It's so simple. It's so simple to have that light of God in our hearts, in our lives, and yet people want to make it so difficult. As a pastor of about 50 years preaching, I mean, as a, from associate pastor going up to pastorate, but I, I've come across many people, they say, yeah, but pastor, you don't know. I know. God knows. I, I mean, I, I know what it is to have a past, but God knows the past whether you want him to know it or not. And if he's willing to send his son to forgive you of that past, like he promises in his word, he forgives us of that past. Why, why should we 
go around here thinking, well, I'm not good enough. I've heard that one many times, too. But uh, John 3.16 is a very simple understanding of the word and what it really means. Really what Christ came here for. Paul said, you know, we talk of eternal life and some people are afraid to die. <laughs> uh, I had a pastor friend of mine that said that about this person that he uh, was talking to a doctor in the hospital. And the doctor said, you can tell who's a Christian in the hospital when they come when death stares them in the face. He said, the non-Christian fights it. He said, but the Christian has a calmness about him. Bible tells us that we're going to pass from here to there in the twinkling of an eye. And then I have those that'll come and tell me, well, how do you know that the grave isn't the end? The best example I can use of, of death and dying was at my in-laws, my, my first wife's grandma. There were a lot of grandchildren, about 15 of them, and they had them sitting in the front row for the funeral. And the, the preacher got up there and he said, now, what do I have here? He, he was directed this specifically to the children. He said, what do I have here? They said, a wristwatch. He said, oh, you think I have a wristwatch here? They said, yeah, because he had showed them the back. He didn't show them the front. He turned it around. And there was nothing in it. He said, that's what's up there. That's just the case that Grandma was in. She's left. Because Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so we have to, to take that into consideration. You know, we're all going to reach that point one of these days. In fact, last August, I was close and didn't even know it <laughs> before my operation. Uh, and they told Betty that, that if they operated on me, I might not, they, they thought I might, they might lose me on the operating table. But anyway, I didn't even know a thing about it until a couple of days after I got home from the hospital. I don't think I even knew about it in the hospital. So now, we, we go on and we see here uh, that many are looking for a, a Christ other than the one that we talk about. Uh, first Corinthians says, For I delivered to you first of all that which I had also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That was the Apostle Paul talking. There are many people looking for another way. I tell you, some try Hare Krishna, some try Muhammad, and some try some other uh, names like uh, Buddha. But I'm going to tell you, there are tombs on this earth where all three of them, their bones are laying in there. Christ arose from the dead, 
went bodily into heaven, and I know the tombs are empty. I saw both of them over in Israel. I saw the one that the Orthodox people believe is, is the one in the Holy Sepulchre, and then I saw the one out in the garden, uh, the garden tomb, and I'm telling you, they're both empty. There's no bones laying around in there. He is gone. I, I like the garden tomb better than I do the one in the Holy Sepulchre because uh, to me, I'm not sure I'd have to do some more research, I think, but that to make up 100% sure that I'm not misstating something, but uh, the, the Jews didn't bury the dead in, inside the city walls. They buried them outside the city walls. And the city wall where the Holy Sepulchre is, is in, inside the city walls. And the place where they uh, believe that Christ was crucified, they have a hole in the bottom of a, of a sanctuary they have in which they say the cross stood. Well, that's uh, a little hard for me to believe. In fact, when we were over there, uh, this Jewish guy, uh, I said, how in the world could these all possibly be really the places that Christ was at? And when it came down about the Holy Sepulchre, he said, well, he said, you know, he said how we Jewish people are. He said, uh, Helen uh, came from over from uh, from Turkey, I think it is. She came from, and she was looking to find holy places where Christ ministered at, and she built churches on those on those sites. But they never could find the one where the crucifixion took place. And he said, you know how my Jewish brethren are. One of them went up to her and said, have I got a deal for you. <laughs> and that's how they, he said that site was chosen. The others, he said, we can authenticate very easily. But he said, uh, the one there, he agreed with us. And the odd thing about it is you have Orthodox Jewish guys. If you go on a tour to Israel, uh, I couldn't take a tour there and lead you to all these places. I've been there twice. I know the feel at most of them, and, but I couldn't take you there. It has to be a registered uh, Orthodox Jewish guide that is authorized by the government. He has to be licensed by the government. And the thing I never could understand about them was that they can quote the Bible better than I ever can. He can, I don't care what question ever came up, Oh, yes, that's in numbers, or that's in, and he'd just tap himself on the head, and I'd quick go over my Bible, make sure he was right, that he gave the chap book, chapter, and verse. And they know that. They know the New Testament like that. And how can they know the New Testament and not believe in Jesus Christ? It was something that was a mystery to me while I was over there. Uh, in the verse that I quoted from Paul, uh, he was giving them what he got. If we know Paul was Saul, and he got knocked on from one keister to the other. <laughs> he got knocked off one and fell on his. But anyhow, uh, he said, what I received. And the Holy Spirit had to tell him all these things. 
And that was a fulfillment also of something that Christ said. He said, when the Comforter comes, he said, he will bring all things to your remembrance. So anyway, he, he was, uh, Paul was taught this who was a very highly educated Jewish person uh, living at that time, but uh, he, he found Christ after he went out to, to persecute the other believers. He was on the road to Damascus the day that, that the light shone from heaven. Again, the light shone from heaven into him. And he got the light and lived by that light ever after that. Last verse, now quick. Last one is Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. That picture, I know Joe referred to it in a message one time of Christ standing at the door knocking. And if you remember, the picture does not have a doorknob on the outside, which indicates that if you want Christ to enter into your heart, you don't have anything that he can turn and open up and come in. You have to open from the inside that he can come in. You have to accept him from within. I've, oftentimes I thought I'd like to see uh, a, another painting of, of a, a novelist's door with Christ knocking at it or with us trying to knock at a door. Because we're knocking at the door when we pray to Christ. When we pray to God, that he shall forgive us of our sins. We are praying, we pray to him, and we pray to him because of the light that we receive from the God. There are many things in this world we won't understand. I've known people that I never thought it'd be anything. But when God got hold of them, he turned them upside down, inside out, and he made a real person out of them. A real human being that became very successful. The sooner we recognize Christ as Savior, the clearer our conscience will be. I mean, people, I know people that are walking around and carrying their the sins they committed in the past, they carry them with them wherever they go. Oh, woe is me. I'm not just no good. I'm not worthy. But you are. But you have to let the light from God come into your life. You need that light within you. God, our Father, we just thank you for the time we've had and for the things that we've been trying to get across. Bless them to every hearer's heart. Bless those portions of it to them that, that might be a difficult thing for them to, to do or to understand. We ask you just to open hearts that they might receive you, that they might even where they're sitting in the service today just open their heart and ask you to come into their lives, forgive you of your sins, and reside in your heart. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.